Good morning. How we doing? Good to uh, see you. Happy Memorial Day. Trust you're having a uh, great, relaxing uh, weekend and some time off to uh, rejuvenate a little bit. Uh, as you know, we are uh, in week two uh, of our series on the book of uh, Revelation. And so today we're going to start looking at the seven churches of Revelation in chapters 2 uh, and 3. And uh, and so that's kind of where we're headed. We're in chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. If you don't have one, there's one in the rack in front of you. Uh, and turn to Revelations chapter 2. Have you ever had one of those moments in time where where everything just kind of stops? Like I was in a, a car accident when I was uh, a little guy, like eight or nine years old, going to football practice. And we lived on the west side of the state. And it was raining and, and probably going to football practice with uh, the son of somebody we knew. So probably, I can't really remember, but probably an 18, 19 year old driver. And, and we're going to football practice and we have all these kids in the car and and as I remember this accident we're coming around the corner and and it's wet and he loses control of the automobile and and he swerves into the other lane and and we get hit and and you know when that happens and I'm looking straight at uh, the car out of the passenger window and and you know when that everything just kind of stops right and, and so then we get hit and, and we go across the lane and into this guy's front yard and, and we kind of drive up to their big picture window and they're sitting on the couch and we're kind of looking at them eye to eye, you know. And, and so when that happens, uh, things kind of stop and after that accident, my life was changed for uh, a few days, right? I had this cut on my head. I needed some stitches, and, and that was okay. But what wasn't okay was our first football game was that weekend. And so when you're eight, right, and and you're like the starting quarterback, which was short-lived, by the way, but at the time, that's what I was, right? And 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 so and it's peewee football and and so that was a big deal. And when we talk about life changing, we we think about growth. And what we're really saying is that life will never be the same from from that point on. And maybe you can look back at your life and, and you were going a certain direction and then all of a sudden things just changed, right? So it's like when I got married and a year after we got married, I, I thought I was going to go to college and go into some business kind of deal. And, and so a year into it, I tell Trudy, like, we're going to move to California, right? Life's going to change. And she's like, what are you talking? Yeah, we're going to go to like Bible college. And as hard as change is, it's worth it. It means growth is around the corner and you'll never go back. You're never going to be the same person. You've grown. You're different. 
And as hard as that is, you move on from that point in your life. And I'm sure that you've had those kind of moments where life was going normal and then all of a sudden, bam, with, uh, you know, you're hit with some kind of news or, or something that changes your life. You found something out or something took place in your life and you look back and, and you'll never be the same again because of what you have experienced. But you know what? That's kind of what God wants for us. He wants there to be change in our lives so growth can take place. And the good news is, is that we can experience that growth. So as we study Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we're going to see the seven secrets of growth and change. We're going to take them one at a time. And so this morning we're going to look at the church of Ephesus. It's chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Go ahead and take your note sheets out. You can follow along with me. The, the church of, uh, at Ephesus, as recorded by Titus, was founded in 1400 B.C. In the middle of the 6th century, the Lydians captured the city. And I think we have a map. Do we have a map? Just kind of, you can kind of see where Ephesus is right there in relationship to the other seven churches. Ephesus was involved in, to its own disadvantage in the Peloponnesian and the Persian Wars as it served as a key naval base. And in 334 BC, it fell to the Macedonians under Alexander. And so Ephesus then unwisely sided with Anicus of Syria against the Romans. But eventually the Romans take over and 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 it becomes the the capital the province of Asia and as a free city it has its own municipal government and senate and and so Ephesus is it was called the queen of Asia and there was a major road that ran eastward through a uh, pass to, to Sardis and, and then on to Galatia and, and beyond and another road that went up the valley of the river of Iconium and, and a third that ran through Laodicea and went out to the, the, the Euphrates. And so trade with Greece and Italy ran through this port regularly. And the architecture of Ephesus was like unbelievable. There was a theater, I think I have a picture of a theater um, right there of, of Ephesus. It was 495 feet in diameter, had held 25,000 people. We read about this theater in Acts chapter 19. They, they had this like marble way that was lined with statues and fountains and, and the Arcadian way, which was another main road from the theater to the harbor. That that road was 1,735 feet long, 70 feet wide, lined with shops and columns that were illuminated at night. But, but the most outstanding architectural feature was the Temple of Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Stood on a platform that was 420 feet by 220 feet. And in this temple, sexual rituals took place at the temple. Both male and female prostitution was there. Its income was threatened by the preaching of Paul, right? So they got him out. 
The, the, the temple was this asylum for criminals. And then in the New Testament, Ephesus was the largest city of the dead. It was the center for the study of arts and magic. And Paul's first visit there was brief and, and it was directed towards the Jewish community. And later he made a second visit and he, he was driven from the synagogue, settled in the school of Tyrannus for two years until the uproar of 58 AD. And then later, Ephesus becomes the center for missionary operations throughout Asia. And Timothy is said to be the first pastor at the church at Ephesus. And in this church, we find people that you will recognize like Aquila and Priscilla, along with Apollos, John is even to have some, said to have spent some time in Ephesus along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And John even returns to Ephesus after Patmos to, to spend the last years of his life there. In fact, he is buried in Ephesus. So it's a little bit about the history and the background of Ephesus. We can get back to talking about growth and change 1986, the Nobel Peace Prize recipient said this. He said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of success is not failure, it's indifference. The opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. And indifference is living life uncommitted to any one thing in particular. It's like grazing, right? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Before you know it, you're just kind of grazing all right, we've all kind of done that at the buffet line, right? And we get to the main course and we're like, we're already full. Indifference robs us of our joy in the Christian life. Why? How does indifference slip in? Right? You're cruising along in your faith. And after a while, you sense this dullness, a sense of apathy towards God and that, that wasn't there before and now is. And, or maybe it's a, it's a difficulty just to stay connected to God on a daily basis because you drift, right? You begin to graze. There, there, there's a lot of things you do, but you're really not sure of your top priorities. The problem is we're not keeping what? First things first. That's what we're going to look at today. Keeping first things first to avoid indifference in our lives. We have to learn how to keep first things first and not let what's supposed to be first slip into second and third and fourth position. Something I know to be true from Scripture is that Jesus loves us very much. And he loves you just the way you are. And you're thinking maybe this morning, I don't feel very lovable right now. Or maybe you feel like I'm not really deserving of his love. But but the truth is, is that Jesus does love us with an indescribable love. And he wants to embrace us and pull us to himself. And really that's the truth uh, of the matter. But I also know this about the love of Christ is that he doesn't want us to stay in, in one place. 
He, he loves us so much that he wants us to change and grow. And he, he wants us to keep moving in some area of life that will result in growth. And because of that, he'll continue to what? Do a work in your life. And he'll complete it, right? Now, when it comes to first things first, Jesus is concerned what's first place in your life. You're not as concerned with what's second or third. But but what is first place in your life? The first blank on your uh, outline this morning is for you just to be honest before God and just to write in. You'll notice it's blank. Just write in what's first place in your life. Right? Just be honest. And if you can't figure it out, let me help you. Look at your calendar and your resource, your checkbook. You figure it out real quick. Well, what is first place uh, in your life? Take a minute and just identify that. And in Revelation 2, we get our first message. And Jesus delivering it through the apostle John. Directing it to this church and and what we see with these letters to the seven churches is that they're all what actual churches right and the letters are written to each uh, of uh, to each of the churches and of course there's a seven design element to each one of the letters because as we said earlier right seven's a big deal in, in this book so everything almost everything is done in seven so seven divine uh, design elements We'll see the name of the church, the title of Christ chosen, a commendation, a concern, an exhortation, a promise to the overcomer. And then the letters all end with this phrase, he who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so these churches are like the churches we have today. That's why I think chapters 2 and 3 are most important because they affect us the most, right? The application for us is is right there. And you will identify with the church of Ephesus. So, so let's just read the letter just to kind of get started. Seven verses, Revelation 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patience, patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so what's clearly is being communicated to the church is that there is one thing that's got to be in first place, right? And that is Jesus, right? Jesus has to be first place in our lives. Our first love has to be him. That's the whole point. He sets the passage based on that statement. So, so how do we get there? How do we do that? How do we keep first things first? Well, 
on your outline. We're going to go through that this morning. Number one is you've got to listen to Jesus. Right? You have to have an ear for, for Christ. Are you waiting and are you listening for the words that, that Jesus wants to speak to you? Verse 1 says the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. For first of all, it's interesting to me, this description of Jesus, he holds the stars in his right, right hand. Right? <laughs> Gotta get the right one. Right? He holds the stars in his right hand. It shows the authority of Jesus. And then we see the presence of Jesus as he walks among the golden lampstands, right? That's representative of the church. When we see the presence of Jesus in the church. And then secondly, we know that it's he who is speaking, right? The first part of the verse, the words of him. So so Jesus has this message for the church at Ephesus. And and I think he has a message for us. And what we have to do is we have to listen. Remember last week, Revelation 1-3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecies and heed the things that are written in it for the time is near, right? We'll be blessed, we'll be happy when we hear the words of Jesus and we listen to what he wants to speak to us. So, so we have to develop this ear to hear and become sensitive to the voice of Jesus, right? Deuteronomy 6, 3 says, listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. The precondition of the blessing is that the people of Israel would what? Listen to their God. Over and over again, there are multiple messages in the Old Testament that describe the importance of listening. And I mean real listening. And the problem with Israel is what? They didn't listen. Right? Over in Jeremiah 7, verse 26, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck and they did worse than their father's. Right? When we stop listening, we start sinning. Right? We have to listen to Jesus. And it's difficult because we have a lot of things in our culture and our society that are messing it up. It's like when my kids were young and I would talk to them, right? And I would try to instruct them and they wouldn't listen, right? They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. Finally, we'd take the little face in my, in my hand and I would say, listen to me. Right? You guys never did that because your kids were all perfect, right? But my kids, right? I had to tell them, listen. And then they wouldn't listen. And you know what would happen? Then my volume would increase. Like, that's going to help. So, so it's true with Jesus as well. We need, we need to learn to listen to him. It's our first step. Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. God looks down on Jesus, right? He's just been revealed in glory. And he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then do you know what the last part of that verse is? The last thing that God says? He says what? Listen to him. Listen to him. 
So, so how do we listen to Jesus? How do we develop that skill set? Well, let me give you four ways to begin this process of becoming a better listener. And first and probably most obvious is to take some time to get alone and, and to pray as you read your Bible, right? It's what our 201 class is all about. We, we need to find some space in our day to just have some quiet time. You know, the weather's getting a little bit better, and so I'm starting to ride my bike to work. And so 24 minutes here, 40 minutes back, it's uphill going back. And, but you know what I love about that? Is that that's, that's what, 64 minutes of being on a bike totally alone and just listening to God. Hey, God, what do you have to say to me? Speak to me. And it's amazing what happens as I take that time to listen to God, to think things through, to bring things before Him. And as I've learned to listen to Jesus, I've noticed that, especially when I'm alone like that, the insights and the impressions and and even the sin that He brings to my mind that needs to be confessed and repented of. All of that comes as I think through what's going on in my life. And so the question for you this morning is, have you built in that space in your life? And if you haven't, I want you to encourage you to, to do that because you and I both need that desperately. And then secondly, can, we can listen to Jesus through wise counsel. And, and we can hear from God through other people, right? And maybe you have somebody that you trust. And now, this is not the person that comes up and says, God told me, Right? This is the person that you trust, that you have relationship with, that you do life together. And as they minister the word to you, encourage you to listen because God just might have something to say to you. And then thirdly, through a message that you hear, and maybe you're sitting out here and all of a sudden during the sermon, something has been communicated to you, could be in the message, maybe not, maybe just God is speaking to you through through his word this morning. And then fourthly is to take the steps of obedience. Help this person, give to that person. You hear God clearly speaking to you to meet a need and we need to respond to that. You know, that small voice telling you to reach out and to help someone or pick up the phone and call someone, right? We need to have that level of sensitivity. So, so that's step one. To keep things first in, in your life, we have to listen to Jesus. Step two is don't hide behind a, a busy Christian life. Notice what the church of Ephesus did here. Look at what it says in verses two and three. I know your works, you toil and your patient endurance and, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. And I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown uh, weary. So, so Jesus is looking at this church and he, he sees exactly what's going on. He knows what they're doing right. He commends them. Um, they are working hard for the Lord. They have this godly endurance. Now, the word patience there literally means a steadfast endurance. And in that sense, this church is like rock solid. 
right? They're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They don't put up with bad doctrine. They pursue doctrinal purity and all of their activity. It was all good stuff, right? There's a commitment to serving Christ. There was a commitment to the retraction of evil. There was a commitment to Christ through evangelism. All good stuff. And we need to do those things. What an application for our church today. And I think to a large degree, we do that, right? We have a lot of people in our church that serve Christ with an awesome passion. Right? They serve on Sundays and during the week. And we have life group leaders. And many of you are involved in serving Christ in one way or another. And it is totally awesome. We should be doing it. It is a mark of a healthy church. And if you're not involved in ministry, I want to encourage you to find a place to serve. Right, Find your place. Get, get involved. If you need help doing that, just um, you know, call me. No, better yet, call Pastor Barry. He would love to help you find a place to to get plugged in. And then second, they were committed to the retraction of evil, right? Both moral and theological. And there was some immorality in the church of Ephesus, but also there was this theological evil. There was this false doctrine being taught as they continued to, to push that out of the church. They had some pretty strong boundaries in place. Right, They're not going to put up with that kind of behavior. They were not going to stand for any teaching that was contrary to the word of God. And, and many of you teach uh, here in some way and you're involved in the educational process of our church. And, and I applaud that. Right, That is a good thing. The, the third category is that they're involved in evangelism. Right, They're sharing their faith on the job with family and with friends. That they're bringing people to Sunday service. That those are the things that we should be doing, right? They're good things. But now here's the question. Are they first things? Right? Is that the first thing we should be doing? I'm going to say that those are good things, but they're not what? The first thing. Because the first thing is we have to have a love for Christ. And that, here's where we need to be careful. Busyness is not a substitute for intimacy with Christ. Right? The, the church at Ephesus was a powerful church for years. They had significant impact in their community. And as I said earlier, the church was located on this major road with very important people that would come through the city. Very influential. Heridian had a palace there. Right, it was a modern city with the theater that you saw. They even had like a sewage system in Ephesus. Right, it was amazing what Ephesus actually had there, but they had something else there. They had the goddess of Artemis, which was also known by the Romans as Diana. And she was the goddess of fertility, which became the goddess of immorality. And right in the middle of the city was this it was this temple, and it was a sign of, of immorality right in the middle of this community. And people would go there to this particular temple, and there was prostitution there and all kinds of immoral stuff going on. And the people of the city had just kind of accepted that practice, right? It's like, well, you know, I guess it is what it is. And then all of a sudden, the church began to make inroads into the community. 
and their activities and the things that they did. And they began to see less and less people going to the temple and the sale of idols decreased. And by the 4th century, the temple was destroyed and it was never rebuilt. And then there were more Christians than pagans in the community as a result of their efforts, right? All good stuff, but let the warning be for us not to let the good stuff get in the way of our true focus, and that is loving Jesus. And that's the question for us today. Have we lost our focus? Or are we so busy with stuff that we've lost our focus on, on what should be first in our lives. Has the good taken place uh, of the best? Or are we just going through the motions of serving Christ without what? Loving Christ. And then there's a third thing to look for to make sure that we have first things first in our lives. And that's to acknowledge your first love is Jesus. Right, you gotta start somewhere. We have to say, Jesus is my first love. Now notice what's communicated in verse four, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Here's the concern. You've abandoned your first love. Notice the contrast between verses two and three, which were external, right? All the stuff that you were doing, then verse four is what? Internal. You've abandoned your first love. Jesus is saying you can have all these things. You can do 50 more good stuff. But but if you don't have the internal right, if your first love isn't me, then all the other stuff, what? doesn't mean a whole lot. All the good in the Ephesian church did not cancel out the bad that Jesus describes here. They had left, they had departed from, they had dismissed, they had let go their first love. Right? Notice the distinction between leaving and losing. He didn't say they lost their first love. He said what? They left their first love. Right? Something can be lost by accident, but leaving is what? It's a deliberate act. And though they had left or abandoned their first love, everything looked great on the outside. Right, if you went to the church at Ephesus, you're going to the happening place. That they had it going on. But at the same time, you might have had this uneasy feeling like, well, what, something's not quite right. Hard to pin down. Well, Jesus pinned it down pretty good. C.S. Lewis said this, every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. Right, if you lose your first love for Jesus, no amount of service will restore your spiritual health. And so the decisions that we make every day either reinforce or erode our love for Christ. For the church at Ephesus, 30 years go by. Right? It's almost time for them to pass on the baton to the next generation. And if they don't pass the right baton with the right values and priorities, then what? The church is going to be sunk. Jesus is encouraging them to restore it now before it's too late. You know, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. For Paul, knowing Christ was everything. 
Knowing Christ means to have this intimate knowledge that only can be learned through time and experience. And for him, that's what it was all about. It's really true for any relationship, right? When you begin a relationship, it's limited in knowledge and experiences, right? It's kind of awkward at first, not knowing what to talk about. And then you find some common experiences, some common things to share. And as time goes on, you get to know that person better and better. The same is true with Jesus. As we create time and space and experiences with Jesus, our knowledge of him increases and our love for him is greater and greater. All right, last one. We have one more to go. Making first things first in our lives, we have to take some steps to return to your first love for Christ. And at this point, I'm assuming that we all need to improve in the area of making Jesus first in our lives. But how do we do that? What are those steps? Verses five and six. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lamb's hand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So I'm thinking, remember what? He's saying, remember what it was like when you were in love with Christ. Remember when, when, when you had that intimate experience, that relationship with Jesus. How long ago was it? Was it a year ago, six months, five years, ten years, twenty years ago? Well, whatever it was. Remember when you were so in love with Jesus that nothing else even mattered. When was that? He says, remember those times. What was it like for you? How did you fall in love with Jesus? What did you do? Maybe you you would say something like, well, I spent a whole bunch of time with him and I brought him wherever I went. Or maybe it was worshiping him for an extended period of time. Or maybe it was like Jesus meant so much to me that I would share him with all of the people that I came in contact with. Remember back to whatever that was. And Hebrews 2.1 says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And drifting is often caused by doing nothing. Just sitting still. It also might be by having so many things going on that it keeps you so busy that you what? You drift. So secondly, we have to repent. Repent from what caused you to fall. Eight times In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus calls the church to repent from what? Well, what do we typically have to repent from? Oftentimes it's what? It's sin. So so some sin that has gotten rooted in your life and you can't get it out has stopped your relationship with the Lord, right? Where you don't feel the connection anymore. Jesus is saying repent of that. And repentance here is is not just feeling sorry or remorse. It is actually to change. It's to have change your mind. It's to have a change of heart. It's to change your will. It's to change your actions. Acts 3, 19 and 20. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. There is no refreshment, no a new experience. There's no first love. Why? Because sin has robbed you from that. Right? You're Maybe you're just going through the motions. There's no longer a fresh connection with Jesus. Why? Because sin has gotten its roots into your life. 
And without repentance, you will never experience a freshness in your relationship with God. And so in Psalms 38, we get a clear picture of David who wanted to go through the steps of repentance, right? We see this four-step process of Psalms 38, step one. You got to see your sin for what it is. The psalmist tells us that the arrow that goes deep, right? It says, for the arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me and, and there is no soundness in my flesh because your indignation, there is no health in my bones because of my sin, right? He's completely weak there there's no health in his bones and we have to see our sin for what it is and what it causes in our life <laughs> step two you have to feel the weight of your sin right what, what it's done the the weight of condemnation right it becomes a sobering thing verses four through eight of psalm 38 but my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they're too heavy for me my wounds sink and fester because of my foolishness i'm utterly bowed down and prostate uh, all the day uh, I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed and I groan because of the tumult of my heart. And then step three, confess your sin to Christ and others, right? First John 1, 9, James 5, 16. We need to just, just to ask for forgiveness and he is faithful and just. James 5, 16, we need to confess our sins to one another. Right? He, he's literally saying, you know, we need to cry out for help. I can't do this on my own. I have to reach out and say, help me. Right? And, and, and if you don't, you will stay in the pattern. You, you'll never get out. You'll never experience what I'm talking about. And yet God wants us to, and he's given us these steps so we can get out. We have to confess it. We have to bring it out into the open. That's why James says, find someone you can trust. Go to them. And, and when we do that, we feel the freshness of your relationship with Jesus again. And then step four is you abandon it. Right? It means decide to, to make daily changes and, and daily changes of choices. Because every choice that you and I make in disobedience leads us further into sin and holds us captive there. But every choice you make for obedience leads you in into the other direction. And James 4, 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If we want to have a repentant heart, there's a lot of stuff in this passage it says to do. We need to submit and resist and draw near and cleanse and purify and mourn and weep and be humble. And I know it's hard to repent. It is difficult. And oftentimes we flat out won't do it because it's just too hard. Because it is hard to submit to God and resist the devil. To draw near to him and to confess and to cleanse our hands. And then we have to purify our hearts and we have to experience the full weight emotionally of our sin and mourn and weep and be miserable. And then we humble ourselves completely before God. And as we are helpless, we cry out to God, God, I repent and I need help. And I can't change on my own. So that is a true picture of repentance. And we have to change our heart and our action as we abandon our sin. 
And then Jesus says, do all of that and then keep on doing what kept you from falling in the first place. That there was this group of faithful Christian men and women in their 70s and 80s. That they were asked by some seminary students the secret of staying in love with Jesus for the long haul. So these people have been Christians for like 3,000 years, right? Each one of them in their 70s and 80s shared the same thing. You know what they said? They said they never stopped doing the basics. Really? Nothing new. No, no, No hidden knowledge. No secret truth. It was the basics that kept them on track, right? They just said, you got to keep on keeping on. That that's what Jesus is saying. Repeat the things you did at first. Go back to that place. It's how you kept your relationship with Jesus sharp. Go back to the word. Go back to prayer. Go back to spending time with other Christians and fellowship. Those things will keep you sharp with Christ. And then he concludes in verse 6 and he says, Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And the the Nicolaitans were this certain sect of people. On one hand, they claimed apostolic authority. On the other hand, they agreed with all the immorality that was going on in the temple. So the people of uh, of the church of Ephesus just said, you know what? We're not going to have anything to do with you. And then verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in, in the paradise of God. That this qualifies everyone, or at least everyone who will listen. The letter is not written just to the church of Ephesus in John's day, but I believe it's written to us as well. And then we have the promise to the conquerors, the overcomers, those who conquer their cold hearts and the lack of love for the one that they say is their first love. And the promise is that they'll return to Eden to eat from the tree of life. It's this restoration that's going to happen. And this is meant first in the eternal sense of uh, of going to heaven, which was no small promise to this church that was threatened by the removal uh, of Jesus' presence. But it's also meant in the sense of seeing the effects of the curse roll back in our lives through walking in Jesus' redeeming love. And then he says it's in the paradise of God, which means the place where God lives. Where, where God is, that's paradise. Eternal paradise awaits those who love Jesus. It's what we have to look forward to. So so let me ask you this as we close. I know, take a deep breath. What are you going to do differently? What, What is one thing that you've learned today that you can do different to stay fresh with Jesus? I think there are probably more, but let me just give you a few. One is to assess how you are doing how are you doing making Christ first priority in your life? Two is to, that we need a reorientation. What are we going to do differently? And three is that we need to engage. We need to ask the question, what do we need to remember? What do we need to repent of? What do I need to repeat? Where are we? What needs? What is in my life that needs to go? And what are we going to do all over again that worked? To keep us fresh with Christ. Ask those questions to yourself. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, your word today. So, so God, as we think about this concept of no greater love and no greater thing in our life that can be in first place except for you. 
God, we also realize that we can't do it alone. And so I want to thank you this morning that you have given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. That, that, that you have enabled us to make changes that we need to make because of who we are in Christ. So God, I just want to thank you for that this morning. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to make changes and help us to repent of the sin that we have in our life and to renew again the, the freshness of, of knowing you. And so, Father, personally, I'd just like to do that this morning. Just for me, God, I pray that that you would just become fresh in my life. And God, I want to repent of my sin this morning and ask you to forgive me. And God, I renew the commitment to put you first place in my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.